Kill complacency. Kill complacency. Have a right view of God. A right view of God. He's not austere and unkind and unfair. He is a loving, good daddy. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. All throughout God's Word, we are reminded that we will be held accountable for what we do with our time here on earth. So how can we stay focused on God's plan for each of our lives? Today, David concludes his series called Perils of Being a Treasure Hunter with the second section of his message, Danger of Complacency. God is perfect and no matter how hard we work, we'll never be perfect. So how do we get to heaven? The only religion that does not teach works as a part of salvation is the Christian faith. Juxtaposed to all the other world's religions is the gospel of grace. That God died on that cross and did for us what we can't do for ourselves, eternal salvation. And then he gives it to us as a free gift by grace through faith. So if you're worried about that day of judgment that Jesus clearly teaches... When you get to heaven and God asks you, why should I let you into my eternity? I pray this will be your answer. It will be my answer. Because I cling to the cross of Christ. It's because I know what he did for me on that cross. And by grace through faith, I've been forgiven. And the Father in heaven will say, come on in. That's the truth. So if you're worried about that day of judgment, you receive Jesus today. And you know the gospel of grace, and you never have to worry about facing the Father in heaven. But let me also tell you that even though we are not saved by our works, please understand we are saved for good works. That is clear in the scripture that those of us who've been saved by the grace of Jesus are called to work hard for his glory. So one more time, we are not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. We are saved for good works. And that's partly what this parable is all about. Even though we now bypass the day of judgment by grace through faith in Jesus, we are still held accountable for our good works in heaven. And those who've been faithful here who love Jesus with his mina, who've expanded it, will have responsibilities in heaven because we've proved our faithfulness here. Well done, good servant. So the application of today's message is simply this. Don't shirk hard work. If you're a follower of Jesus especially, don't shirk hard work. Say it with me. Don't shirk hard work. You're called to work hard for the glory of the kingdom. You're called to make money, expand minas, which were monies in that day, for the purpose of expanding the kingdom of heaven. So, how do you do that? First of all, kill complacency. Kill complacency. Have a right view of God. A right view of God. He's not austere and unkind and unfair. He is a loving, good daddy who has his best desires for you. Also realize that work is a good gift from God. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God created the world in original intent, perfect from all sin. And one of the things God gave Adam to do was work, and it's called good. God called work good. 
And he said to Adam, first of all, dress, till, and keep the land. And secondly, name the animals. God authored mental and manual labor, and he called it good. It's only in Genesis 3 in the fall that man especially starts to work hard to find his identity in his work. That's wrong. Your work can never give you eternal identity. That's a part of the fall. That's a part of sin. But work is a good gift from God that he desires all of us to use for his glory. In fact, he's given us the ability to be co-creators with him in in this world. Secondly, work hard and earn. God would want you to do that. The mina, remember, is all you are and all you have. Every person on this earth has been given a mina. All that God gives us and all we are. Therefore, he wants us to work hard with the mina that he's given us and expand it for his kingdom. Hard work. Michael Jordan in the 1980s was a very slim, lithe, gifted athlete. For those of you who know your NBA history, you know that for three straight years, the Detroit Pistons eliminated the Chicago Bulls from the Eastern Championship. They did so by what Chuck Daly, the coach of the Pistons, called the Jordan Rules in the playoffs. He put three huge guys, Rick Mahorn, Bill Lambeer, somebody else, to always follow Jordan around, and whenever he got near the basket, to knock him to the ground, to take away his physical strength. Well, after Detroit eliminated Chicago for the third straight season, Jordan called his personal trainer, and he said, I've got to get stronger. So I'm in L.A. right now, and I'm flying to Phoenix. I'm going to arrive at 2 o'clock in the morning. We play the Lakers, and now I want you to meet me in Phoenix, and I'm going to start lifting weights regularly, and I'm not going to miss any time together. His personal trainer said to him, well, Michael, you're you're flying in at 2 o'clock in the morning. You want to meet at 7 in the morning to begin your weightlifting program? He said, no. Meet me in the lobby at 2 o'clock in the morning. We begin the weight training process. From then on, his strength and conditioning coach said, Michael Jordan never missed a lift. Whether he was on the road, wherever he was, he would always go in day in, day out, and get his lifts in. Slowly but surely, he got stronger and stronger. The untold story of Michael Jordan's extraordinary giftedness is his relentless hard work in the weight room over several years. And for those of you who know your NBA basketball history, you know that was the beginning point for the next year, the Bulls eliminating the Detroit Pistons and the Jordan rules no longer applying. He was too strong. He overcame it and led to six NBA championships. Because of his commitment not to shirk hard work. Robert Half, an employment specialist, said, hard work without talent is a shame, but talent without hard work is a tragedy. John Wooden, who won 12 NCAA college basketball championships in a row, would always ask his players after every practice and every game, Did I play the best I could? Did I give 100%? When I played basketball, especially in middle school and high school, I would always call my dad after a game and go, Dad, how'd you think I played? 
I always wanted to hear from him. Oh, son, you did just great. And he was very affirming. But here's the first question he would always ask me. Son, did you give it your best? He was trying to teach me the value of a work ethic. You can always hold your head high with hard work. Whether you win or lose, you can always hold your head high if you know you worked as hard as you can. When I was in high school, I wanted to play collegiate basketball more than anything else in the world. I was a relatively gifted athlete, but I had my limitations. Six foot, eight inches tall, but relatively white, which means I couldn't jump very high. But I would not let anyone outwork me. I read a quote from Bill Bradley, who was an All-American at Princeton, played in the NBA, a Rhodes Scholar, and he lived by this quote in basketball. He said, when I'm not practicing, somebody else is practicing, and when we meet, he's going to win. I drove myself. I worked so hard to earn a four-year scholarship to North Carolina because of a work ethic that my dad helped instill within me. Let me address the myth of overnight success. We sometimes hear that term. There are very, very few success stories that didn't have to work hard to become successful. For example, the Beatles. Do, do you know who the Beatles are? Okay, good. The great rock group from the 1960s, they burst onto the scene in 1964, and many people said, oh, an overnight sensation. Did you know the Beatles played over 1,200 different gigs in out-of-the-place restaurants and clubs before their first hit ever made it? Practically everyone who's successful has had to work long and hard hours for that success to occur. Malcolm Gladwell who wrote the book Tipping Point, said that every successful person usually spends at least 10,000 hours crafting their trade. He said, practice isn't the thing you do once you're good. It's the thing you do to make you good. And the fear of failure, like this guy with the one mean ahead, I was afraid of you. Many of you aren't willing to risk anything because of a fear of failure. Let me first of all tell you, you're not a failure unless you choose not to get up again. You may have failed, so what? A lot of people fail, but you're only a failure, your identity being a failure, if you never try again. Most everyone who's been eminently successful has been a failure at one time or another in his or her life. Thomas Edison, for example, the inventor of the electric light bulb, tried 10,000 different ways to invent the light bulb. His assistant on the 10,000th failure said, aren't you ready to give up? Edison responded, no, now I know 10,000 ways not to do it. Walt Disney was fired from his first job because he lacked new, creative, imaginative ideas. Go figure. <laughs> Did you know that Walt Disney went bankrupt on three different occasions? before he finally succeeded in one way or another. My college coach, Dean Smith, at one time college basketball's all-time winningest coach in basketball's Hall of Fame, became North Carolina's coach in 1962. Did you know in 1964, he was hung in effigy by the student body? Not once, but twice. The question during that season was not would he become one of college basketball's great coaches. The question then was, would he last through the season? 
Yet during that time period, he told me he learned something very important. First of all, he doesn't control a whole lot. He can only do the best that he can do and entrust God with the outcomes. And he continued to do so with hard work. And ultimately, the results came. But it was still another 20 years before he won his first NCAA championship. Hard work. And just to be fair, and to paint this illustration in another shade of blue, Mike Krzyzewski, during his first three years at Duke, many people wanted him fired. They didn't think he was a good coach. And look what's happened. And if you ask him, he would tell you, it's only because I devoted myself to keep working hard and trust the results to take care of themselves. Jeff Cohen, a researcher, said, no one becomes great without at least 10 years of very hard work. From the lips of Thomas Edison, he said, opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. <laughs> Jesus in Matthew 5.41 talks about going the extra mile. If someone asks you to go one, go two. And I think he's trying to illustrate, at least partly, the importance of hard work and going beyond what people ask. And it makes a huge impression upon them, especially his followers. Again, from Thomas Edison, genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. And he also said, no one can ever drown in sweat. Michelangelo, the famous painter, once said, if people only knew how hard I've worked to gain mastery, my work wouldn't seem so wonderful at all. Hard work. It equals sacrifice, getting up early, staying focused, working extra hard, no blame, no excuses. From John Wooden again, if you don't have to work hard to get something, it's probably not worth getting. That very famous writer, Anonymous, once said, elbow grease is your best polish. Elbow grease is your best polish. Maya Angelou, the famous poet who at the end of her life was a North Carolinian, said, nothing will work unless you do. Nothing will work unless you do. Please understand this also. Hard work doesn't equal busyness. Hard work equals production. There are studies that are being done now that say American workers work about 50% of their days. They try to spend enough time to impress their boss, but the rest of the time they spend it in breaks and idle chatter. You want to impress your boss? Work hard. You want to raise? Work hard. You want to raise, don't complain about your boss. Those kind of things make a difference in his heart. Let me address for a second, you millennials, your worth ethic is horrible. It's just horrible. And you expect to have what it's taken a lifetime for us to work for. If you want to impress those people over, you work hard. And then be patient. And over time, your benefits will come. Now listen, I understand. Part of your reality may be that you looked at boomers and even your exer parents, and you saw divorces, you, you saw your dads and even your moms working hard and hard and hard, never at home and not having a relationship with you. Nothing could be worse. 
So yes, you're called to balance family and hard work. I know from my perspective that I gave my life to my wife and my kids. I did as much as I could to love her and to love my kids. My kids spell love, T-I-M-E. And I've given my life to build a strong family. So I've committed myself to my family, but I've worked hard. And I've tried to balance the two. So balance the two, but just make sure that you work hard and not expect to get everything immediately. It just doesn't work that way. In fact, quick rabbit trail. I think this parable is a clear statement from Jesus about the beauty and value of free enterprise and capitalism. There are really only two options in the world, capitalism or socialism. And capitalism, though with its flaws, is the best system there is. What does capitalism do? It invites people to choose to use the minas, the gifts they have, to the full. It's the choice to try to make as much money as you possibly can. And that's not a bad thing. The question is, what happens when you get the treasure? If you find your identity in it and only to buy more and more, that's wrong. That's what we've been trying to look at the last couple of weeks. But I want to exhort all of you, make millions of dollars. I hope and pray everybody in this room right now becomes a multimillionaire. Amen? I hope you all do. Work hard. And there's nothing in the Bible about the redistribution of wealth. It's not there. The call is for individuals to work hard and earn a lot of money. But for what purpose? To advance the kingdom of God. Have a strong work ethic. Don't shirk hard work. Use the capitalist system. Use personal responsibility. Use the gifts God's given you. Use free enterprise. Just make sure that once you get it, you use it for God's glory. That way, you'll always avoid the perils of being a treasure hunter. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio to talk about his latest Davidism. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. 
Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope. I'm Jen Houston, and with me is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for joining us today. It's always great being with you, Jen. Thank you for being my co-host on this part of the program. Well, we have such a fun time here together and especially discussing these these Davidisms, these nuggets of wisdom. And yesterday, David, we talked about edging God out. And really that has to do with pride and how that can bring ruin to our lives. Yeah, ego, E-G-O, edging God out is really the ultimate sin. Pride is what caused the devil to be the devil. And what I wanted to address today with you, Jen, was something we began discussing yesterday and we ran out of time, and I want to continue it because Mm -hmm. it's so important. One of the major ways pride is evidenced in our lives is the use of the tongue. Mm -hmm. And when we want to be better than somebody else, comparing ourselves to somebody else, being jealous of other people, which are all roots of pride themselves, we are critical of other people, and we use our tongues negatively to tear down instead of lifting up. And You said yesterday one of the things God has really laid on your heart this year Mm -hmm. is to build people up, and that's primarily with your words. That's right. Yeah, And one another of the Proverbs, along with pride comes before the fall, is life and death is in the tongue. Mm. And we can give life or death with our words. I know people who are still scarred today from negative words spoken to them by parents, coaches, significant others. They're still living under the burden of those accusations that they heard. But yet, on the other hand, I know other people who are living full lives because they were blessed and mm-hmm. encouraged by parents, coaches, significant others. So mm-hmm. talk to our listeners for a bit about how God laid on your heart this year mm-hmm. to use your tongue to build people up as a way to defeat pride in your life and encourage others to live humbly as well. Well, it didn't quite start so spiritual, but I was taking a road trip with my family. And sometimes when you're in the car for about nine hours, you know, you see the best and the worst sides. So I just turned to my kids and I said, on this trip, we are going to build each other up. And somehow that word build just resounded in my heart. And it was like the Holy Spirit said, this is your word for 2021. I want you, Jen, to build other people up. And so when I feel tempted in my mind to be jealous of somebody, if they have something I don't have or get to do do some vacation I see on Instagram that I didn't get to take, it's like, you know, I get to celebrate and build them up and thank God. You know, my friends were made in the image of God. And when I start to remember that, it's like, wow, I can celebrate why they were made made and created. And so I just start to build them up in my thoughts and then begin to just bless them with my words. Wow. Do you ever send them texts or call oh, yeah. them up on the phone and just say to them, here, I just want to encourage you today. I want to build you up. I do. I do. And often I have one of my closest friends that says, you are such an exhorter is what she says. So, and you know, it's, it's easy to to do that when your mind is first in that place of celebrating other people's achievements and not just focusing on yourself. You know, in 1 Thessalonians 5 is where that verse, encourage one another, is found. But what people may fail to realize is that's at the end of a section of Scripture talking about the end times. Oh, interesting. It is. And so if the Lord came back today, here's the question. Would he find you using your tongue to encourage one another? Paul gave that admonition in response to their realization 
realization in the church at Thessalonica that Jesus could come back any day. Wow. And if he came back today, folks, would he find you encouraging one another or, or would he find you tearing each other down? Mm-hmm. And if you're tearing each other down, that's an ultimate sign of pride mm-hmm. in your life. Wow. Such powerful reminders. Thank you so much, David. Yeah. Thank you, Jen. And thank you, listeners. If you'd like to receive a daily e-blast from me, these Moments of Hope, these Davidisms we're talking about, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there and you will receive in your inbox every morning at 7 a.m. a moment of hope from my heart to yours. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. While you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also, check out David's weekly Hopecast. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for God to heal our land.